number of weeks. I'm not exactly sure how long we're going to be talking about what I'm going to be talking about this morning. But certainly over this week and next week, I want to begin to talk to you about vision. Vision. And there's lots of ideas around this word. Our world has very clear definitions of its own about this word. Dictionary definitions would define it in saying it's the power of imagination, the power of sight, the ability to see the future now. But these definitions that our world gives of vision, these definitions, these dictionary definitions, a man's idea of what vision is and what this word epitomizes are greatly limited when we truly understand it from God's perspective. God has a whole different idea when it comes to vision. And the Word of God teaches us and shows us exactly what vision truly incorporates. And we're going to look at it over these next weeks to clearly understand what this Word is all about. Many of the definitions that you hear about And around this word vision are simply from man's imagination and man's mind. But if we are truly to understand what vision is, it's a spiritual encounter. It's a spiritual connection. It's a spiritual visitation from God. When we have a vision, our perspective becomes clear. As to what God wants. When we have a vision. Our understanding of God's purpose. And his heart. Becomes our heart. And our purpose. When there's a downturn in a city or a town or a village. When there's a downturn in a nation. Or a country. It's in those moments. When, when people and civilizations and communities are spiraling down, it's in those moments that God comes to his people with vision. Envisioning experiences. In fact, Joel put it this way, talking about our day, the last days. He said that the Lord would pour out his spirit on all flesh. And he said, your young men will see visions. And your old men will dream dreams. What was he talking about? He wasn't talking about you and I concocting pictures and imaginations in our minds. He was talking about a one-on-one encounter with God. A visitation. A habitation. Where you and God become very, very closely acquainted. Vision is what you have in your heart. A revelation of God that captures you to such an extent that it becomes the dominating force of your life. Vision changes your course and direction for living. It becomes the very reason for your existence. Let me ask you today, do you have a vision? Have you had that encounter? Have you had that visitation from God?
Let me read to you and refer to a young man called Evan Roberts. He had a vision. He worked in the coal mines from the age of 12 and at 25 years of age, God called him into the ministry. Whilst he was at Bible school, he was taken up with the burden and a cry for spiritual awakening. And it consumed him night and day that God would visit the principality of Wales. 25 years of age, you don't have to be old, experienced, well-versed in order to have an encounter with God. This young man, but 25 years of age, burning with the burden, burning with passion for his land and his people and what he saw. He heard whilst he was at Bible school of a man that was preaching in Newquay, in Cardiganshire, a man called Seth Joshua. And he went to the meeting and let me read to you the account of what happened in that meeting that Roberts went to. On Thursday morning, Seth Joshua closed his meeting with a moving prayer. Lord, bend us. Evan Roberts went to the front to kneel and crying out in great agony, cried out, Lord, bend me. Joshua made a note of his, in his diary at that time, remarking on the young man. However, Jenkins, the man who had organized the meeting, fearing that such free expression would not produce a quiet Keswick-style meeting, but a spiritual uproar, was afraid that young Roberts was a spiritual neurotic. Roberts knew that he had reached the crisis of his spiritual experience. He felt compelled to pray. Suddenly, he said, I felt a living power pervading my being. It took my breath away, he said. His face was bathed in perspiration as he cried out, Bend me, Lord. He was overwhelmed by the verse, God commends his love towards us. Then a wave of peace flooded his soul and he became concerned about others. He said at the time, I felt ablaze with a desire to go through the length and the breadth of Wales to tell of the Savior's love. And had it have been possible, I was willing to pay God for doing so. Following that experience, he wrote to his brother, his brother-in-law, Sidney Evans, and he said this, I have a vision of all of Wales being lifted up to heaven. We are going to see the mightiest revival the land has ever known. Later, he asked Sidney Evans directly, do you believe that God can give us 100,000 souls now? Sidney Evans never forgot that piercing look on the face of the young man, Evan Roberts. He was so in faith of what he had seen that he wrote that time to the editor of a Sunday newspaper writing on the 4th of November asking for an estimate of printing notepaper. And he said this, We are on the eve of a great and grand revival, the greatest the world has ever seen. Do not think that the writer is a madman. And the next day, all of heaven broke loose on the Principality of Wales. 
revival came to this land and within two years, some estimate that 250,000 people received Christ as Savior. A vision that a young man had, 25 years of age, in a hidden town in Lacha. Revival sweeped our nation. God doesn't need a majority of people. God doesn't need to work en masse with a crowd. God can work with just one. One man, one woman, young, old, it matters not. Connected to Him in vision, in passion, in prayer. And everything can change. Now, for a moment, let's turn our attention to God's Word and we'll see another young man, just like Evan Roberts, living in turbulent times, everything spiraling downwards, living in the midst of great loss. His nation had lost direction and there was a huge vacuum in the nation because the king that everybody depended on and looked to for security and safety had died. Isaiah was the young man, the young prophet that God envisioned and had encounter with the Lord that shows us, his life shows us what vision is all about and what it can do in our lives. Let me read to you from Isaiah chapter 6 verse 1 to 8. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up and his train filled the temple. This is real stuff, people of God. We do not just live in a natural, physical, material world that races fever feverishly in its own direction. There is another world that you cannot see, but it's real, if not more real than the tangible, material world that we live in. And Isaiah was caught up and allowed the privilege to glimpse and peer into that world. Above it all stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two, he covered his face. With two, he covered his feet. With two, he did fly. And one cried to another and said, Holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the doors moved at the voice of him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. Then he said, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then flew one of the seraphims unto him, having a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with the tongs from off the altar. And he laid it upon my mouth and said, Lo, this has touched thy lips, and your iniquity is taken away, and your sin is purged. Also, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? Then said I, here am I, here am I, send me. When you look into the background and the surrounding 
situation in society in which this encounter, this envisioning experience took place in Isaiah's life. You see that he was going through terrible loss and grief. The nation was going through terrible loss and grief because they had lost one of their greatest kings. Uzziah, the king that had died, had reigned for 52 years and he had brought so much prosperity, so much greatness. He'd extended the borders. He'd built the infrastructures and the people were blessed as a result of this king's rule and reign over them. But in the closing years of his life, he started to get arrogant and proud. In the closing years of his life, he started to do things that he shouldn't do. And suddenly the disapproval of God went right across his forehead as he was struck with leprosy. You know, we're not playing games when it comes to church. We're not playing games when it comes to our lives. In fact, the Bible says, talking about our lives, that they're not our lives. They don't belong to us. The price has been paid. Not of silver and gold and perishable things, but the precious blood of Jesus. You're not allowed to talk the way that you used to talk. You know, I'm not allowed to do the things that I used to do. Why? Because my life's not my own. And things were spiraling down. This man was seeing the end of an era. This man was facing the grief and the emotions and the apathy and the slumber as everything began to back up and stand still and come to a halt. And that's what happens sometimes when we lose something that we've depended on and relied on and put our trust in. That's what happens when we lose people that, that we've placed hopes in. And an era came to an end. And the crisis that was occurring and evolving around this man was causing great pressure. And on this day, he goes to the temple, maybe to grieve privately, maybe to contemplate all of the things that were happening around him and suddenly, unexpectedly, he gets an encounter with God. Aren't you glad that in our moments of loss, in our moments of uncertainty, in our moments where we don't know where, what to go, where to go or what to do, in, in moments where all of the questions come racing at us and we don't have the answers it's in those moments, in those vacuum moments, in those great gaping moments that God comes in and brings fresh direction, instruction, guidance, and vision as only He can. Three amazing things happened to Isaiah and I want us to consider them, consider them today as an introduction to this whole subject. Three things. That God gave Isaiah in the vision that he had that brought closure on his past, correction for his present, and direction into his future. Firstly, 
Isaiah, from what we've read, we see Isaiah had an upward vision. He saw the Lord. Isaiah had an upward vision. He saw the Lord. Now Isaiah had seen the death of King Uzziah and his confidence had been struck. His hopes had been dashed. The loss and the grief, the insecurity, the removal of all of the prosperity that had occurred and been accumulated as the result of this man had suddenly gone. He'd lost an earthly king, but now suddenly he was seeing the heavenly eternal king. And when we've lost perspective, when we've lost vision, because of our, our hopes and our dreams around us within this earth have failed, it's then in moments like that that we need a new reviving, a new encountering, a new envisioning in our hearts of God. He saw the Lord. Within this, he saw God's position sitting on the throne, high and lifted up, he says. He saw God elevated far above all of the circumstances that were beset in him and his people, eternally enthroned, secure, not deposed of his rule. Or authority. He saw God's position. He saw God's person. These are the things that happen when we get a vision. You have a fresh understanding of God's position. He's enthroned, immovable over the world and over the nations and over the peoples and over this city. And also, you have an understanding of God's person. He begins to hear the angels. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord. The undescribable substance, the undescribable nature of God. As they peer into it, undistracted by His beauty. All they can cry day and night for all eternity. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord. As they peer on into his majesty, as they peer on in to all of the glories that God encompasses. And Isaiah hears this. He sees God's position, he sees God's person, and he becomes very aware. Aware of God's power, the things, the doorposts and the doors and the very physical structure that's surrounding him begins to shake and the temple fills with smoke. Isaiah gets an upward vision of God. But what happens next, again, is equally as incredible because not only does Isaiah get an upward vision of God regarding his position and his person and his power, he also gets 
an inward vision. It's wonderful to see God in His majesty and in His holiness. It's wonderful to hear angels singing about God's beauty and indescribable attributes. It's wonderful to have experiences where the very presence of God shakes the building. But oh, when you get an inward vision, when you see yourself in the light of God's beauty, in the light of God's holiness, that can be difficult. That can be hard. That can be a crisis point for all of us. Isaiah had an inward vision. He saw himself. And this inward vision caused him to cry over his condition. See, a vision isn't just, you know, a nice couple of lines on a, on a, on a church website that says this is what we're about. If you think it's that, you're very, very mistaken. It's far bigger than that and far more than that. And that's not that that's not important. But vision, when it comes to the Bible, incorporates all of these things and far more. He saw himself. And he cried over his condition. The inward vision, this inward vision that Isaiah had, not only caused him to cry over his condition, but he cried for personal change. The vision made him so discontented in a right way. Personal change. And also as he had this inward vision and he saw himself. He cried to be clean. I want to be clean. I feel polluted. I feel colored by the attitudes and the words and the, the society in which I live. I want to be clean, he says. When you read Isaiah's history of life, you see that he was an amazing man. Over the course of his life, he served four kings. I'm telling you now, when you, when you look into the Bible and you see the people that God used, you know, you're not just talking about people growing up in a, in, in a lowly estate. God took some of the finest human beings that have ever lived and used them for his glory. He can take the lowest and the highest and to bring his purpose about. Four kings. This was a, a, a man that understood the etiquette of how to walk and present himself amidst the greatest and the most notable in his land. You read the first five books or the first five chapters of Isaiah. And for 18 years, he ran up and down the nation, reeling off his judgment, reeling off his woes, reeling off 
his proclamations to correct people and tell them how wrong they were. But now, everything suddenly changed. This man's before God. And he's not saying, woe are you. That's what he'd been doing for the last 18 years. Now he's saying, woe is me. It's easy, isn't it, to look out and have our views and have our judgments and have our criticisms. But when you get a vision, one of the elements that's at the heart of an encounter with God is that you're not looking now out in criticism and judgment to a world around you. You're beginning to measure and weigh up the very attitudes that are hidden, the very thoughts and intents of your life. You're beginning to weigh them up and correct them and bring adjustment and judge them. When Evan Roberts had his vision and had his encounter, in one of his letters he says this, he said, for hours, night after night, God began to take me into a place where time and space ceased to exist. He said, before I went there, I thought I was a very pious man, meaning I thought I was very pure. He had an idea about his life that was good. But he said, suddenly when I stood before the Lord, I realized how wretched and vile I was. Afraid that I would die. But then suddenly, I was clean. You see, God, in that moment that Isaiah cried for cleansing, God didn't condemn him. This is not a bad thing. This is not a negative thing. This is the most glorious thing. The most wonderful thing. God doesn't condemn, criticize, or judge. He comes with a coal from the altar. And he presses it on his lips. There's cleansing. No condemnation. In his presence. And then finally. Isaiah had an outward vision. He saw his world. It's not good enough just to have an upward vision of God in his holiness and his beauty. It's not good enough just to have an inward vision to locate who we are. And who we need to be. Beyond that upward vision of God in all of his beauty and glory. Beyond that inward vision where there needed to be readjustment and transformation. Beyond all of that. There was a vision that God wanted to infuse in this man's heart. For the rest of his life. A vision for his world. A vision for the people that were lost around him. Isaiah hears a conversation that God is having. 
His heart picks up on it. You know, we know that God hears our prayers. But do we hear His? Isaiah was a man of prayer. Isaiah knew that God heard his heart. But now Isaiah was hearing God's heart. And it was in the form of a question that was burning, that was heavy, that was burdensome, that was weighty. And the the king of the universe, the ancient of days, the one that is more fairer than all, the one that said, let there be and there was, the creator of the world comes with his burden and his ache. And Isaiah hears it. Who shall I send? Heaven has a prayer. Who shall I send? Who shall go for us? The weighty question. The innermost, urgent, alarming desire of the creator to the creature. Who is it? Who is it? Who's going to go for us? Who? And before he can think, before he can examine the conditions, before he can weigh it all up out of his heart, Isaiah cries, Here I am. Send me, oh, the beauty of it, the marrying together of the availability of a man joined to the purpose and the will and the desire of heaven. Oh, the glory of it. And Isaiah now finds a new availability coming from his life. And a new alignment begins where he's not now. Hurling his woe are you. But he's embracing the people in a new dimension, sent with a burning message. I'm going to ask the musicians to come. We're going to close in just a moment. Maybe today, the stirring in your heart is for a new understanding of who He is in His holiness, who He is in His majesty and His glory. You've seen all the shaky circumstances that have caused you uncertainty and trouble and fear. And now you just need something of permanence, of security, something that's so immovable that it's eternal. Maybe your eyes and your mind need opening 
to the fact that God is high and lifted up over it all, seated above everything, orchestrating all of your needs and all of your issues to an ultimate end, you're good. Maybe it's a fresh revelation of God's position you need today or God's person or God's power. And I've just brought words to it and understanding to it. Keep on pursuing. He's going to come on through to you. Or maybe you're in a position like I've been many times where by the Holy Spirit's tender work in your life, He's giving you a vision of yourself. And it is disturbing. And it is a point that brings you to a crisis. But don't be condemned. Don't be discouraged. Don't back off. Hebrews 12 tells us the Lord disciplines those that He loves, that He scourges everyone, that He receives Himself, receives to Himself. But discipline after a time produces the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Don't be discouraged at the chastening of God. As you see your condition and as you cry for cleansing and as you desire personal change, He's going to bring you on through that. He really is. Or maybe today, again, you're here at the end of another week and through the week you you, you gave your invitation to somebody to receive Christ or you tried to just point them to Jesus and it may have gone wrong. You may have got your tongue twisted up and it may have felt awkward, but you did your best. And again, at, another, at the end of another week, hearing this word, you're ready to say again, Lord, another week is ahead of me. Lord, send me. It's still an ache on your heart that I want to fulfill. You don't have to go any further than me. Send me, Lord. You don't have to go to my neighbor. You don't have to go to the church down the road or in the other town or in the other city. Here I am. Send me. And you'll go into work tomorrow. And you'll go maybe to your college or your university or into your family, wherever you are, knowing that you are sent by God as an ambassador, as a living letter, as an epistle read by men, having received the comfort of God for your own wounds and your own life and your own salvation, so you'll move on in into circumstances enabled by God to comfort others with the comfort that you've received from the God of all comfort. What a glorious, glorious commission we have. Church, I'm telling you now, I have seen it many years ago, many years ago, in the early hours of the morning whilst I lay on my bed in Bayslag in my mother's house, I saw a time in the history and the future of this church where the glory of God unfolds and healings and signs and wonders and miracles follow the word and where suddenly the whole atmosphere breaks to receive the glory and the presence of, of the king.
And I'm telling you now, I've seen it. I've seen it. And every move towards it, we're going to sing His praise. Every move towards it, we're going to declare His goodness. Every move towards it. Because this move and this next move of God encompasses the whole land. And I believe, I'm telling you now, I'm, I'm preaching this word this morning, not just for our church. I believe that there's going to be many, many churches right throughout our land that's going to have Isaiah 6 experiences. They're going to get an upward vision, an inward vision, and an outward vision as we're commissioned to take this land for God. Let's stand to our feet for a moment. We're going to pray. I'm going to pray for you. We're going to ask the Holy Spirit to help us. Lay our lives before Him. Lord, I thank you for your precious people. Oh God, we would never have ever thought that you would choose us. We would never have ever thought that the king of the universe would put his hand on our lives and then commission us with such a glorious commission. We thank you that we are your church and we're proud to be called the church of Jesus Christ. Not a place, but a people called and bought and redeemed by your blood. Lord, I pray for every single person here Oh God, your church is beautiful. Your church is glorious. And Holy Spirit, I thank you that you have not left this earth, but you are here and you remain here to equip us and enable us to reach a lost and a dying world. I pray that you would make us laborers. I pray that you would send forth laborers into the harvest to reach it. Father, I pray that you would make us fishers of men. It is by, Lord, your power. It is by that envisioning encounter with you that we are made fishers of men. I pray, Holy Spirit, that as we open our eyes every day and see people, Jesus, I pray that our hearts would break, our hearts would be burdened, our eyes would see them like sheep without a shepherd, and, our, and the compassion of God, like it filled you, Jesus, would fill us, and Lord, we would use our mouth to bless them, we would use our, our arms to embrace them, and Lord, we would use all of our resources, Lord, to win them. Father, we ask you, in Jesus' name, for your glory, let the sufferings of your Son, God, be rewarded. Let the sufferings of Jesus, Father, we pray, be rewarded in our day, in our generation, for your glory. Let your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And all God's people said, Amen. Come on, church. Give Him praise. We're going to sing. Give